Hey everyone, welcome back to the next stage. This week, I just flew it solo. Uh, Tyler's out of town right now because Thanksgiving was yesterday. Uh, so happy Thanksgiving to everyone uh, yesterday. But this week was really great. I uh, had Michael Rogers uh, join us, three-time time trial world champion, uh, race for the biggest teams that you could ever think of. Uh, absolute legend of the sport. He's now working with the UCI and it's really incredible to sit down and talk with him and hear his thoughts, his ideas, his knowledge, and really kind of pick his brain. And uh, I hope everyone else enjoys this episode as much as I loved you know, listening to Michael. And uh, it's incredible. So have a great time and happy holidays, everyone. Enjoy. Michael. Now I can hear. Yes. Hey, good morning. Or hey. good, how you doing? Good afternoon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good, TJ. How are you? Oh, I'm glad we were able to figure this out. I was pretty I nervous don't know about what that. What happened there? Um, I, think it's, I think it was on my side. I, I restarted my phone and it seemed to start working. So. Yeah, you never, you never know. You never know. How you been? Yeah, really well, thank you. Yeah, quite fine. Busy couple of weeks, starting with the new role at UCI. Yeah, um, yeah. Com- coming up to speed with everything, all the various projects. and So, and, yeah, uh, kind of go into detail and tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, you, like you said, you're pretty busy right now. Like, tell us what you're busy with there, you know, what you're doing specifically. and Sure, sure. So, um there's quite a lot of um, projects going on with at the UCI at the moment in, in the sense that uh, with with the COVID restrictions and and how the world has kind of changed in in the throughout the course of, of 2020 um, you know there's quite a few projects uh, within as, as I mentioned within UCI that, uh, that that require a lot of attention and some of them are very tech orientated and and I guess um, I guess my background over the last couple of years since I, I stopped racing about four years ago has been more or less in the in the tech space. Uh, for those of you unaware, I also I was developing a, a virtual cycling platform platform called VirtuGo, uh, very uh, very much in the same domain as Swift and a few of the other virtual cycling platforms. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that came to an end at about this time last year. And, uh, and ever since, I've been back working in the, in the cycling sector. Um, I did a stint with uh, Team NTT this year and, and as we were with the team at the Tour de France and helping them on uh, a few of their projects as well. But uh, very happy to join the UCI in the role of, uh, of Innovation Manager. We, yeah, was that... Uh... When you, how'd you get when you were pretty excited, obviously, to join the UCI, or uh, just because you kind of saw yourself helping it guide it in a direction that you felt like could help also the riders? And uh, yeah, yeah, well, um, I think I thought I could, I think I can have a, a positive influence on, on, on the sport. Um, the sport's radically changing. Um, in in drastically this year yeah yeah and also tj i think the way that people are starting to interact with the sport of cycling i mean i can agree more with that yeah so you you're starting starting to see uh e-sports it's got a massive amount of growth so when you look into you know cycling e-sports on virtual platforms as i was discussing just before, but if you look at the growth of also e-bikes, particularly in the mountain biking space, you know you start to you start to have this broader view that younger generations are starting to interact with the sport in non-traditional ways. And technology, you know, the internet, um, engineering feats, you know, these these fantastic engines that are in e-bikes and. Um, it's opening up new opportunities that, that the governing body has to has to um, move in parallel with. Um, so I guess I, I guess in a nutshell, uh, those are the kind of projects that 
that I'm very interested in and, and will be will be now heading with UCI. I love that. I love that. I love that. So how have you been during uh, this whole pandemic and everything? This we've been, whole, yeah, this... we've been very safe, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm living in the southern part of Switzerland. So uh, we have Italy, what is it, 10 miles away, very, very close. Uh, yeah. So we experienced... I think uh, almost firsthand the, the first wave of the pandemic, uh, Italy was one of the first countries to be hit hard. And, and we witnessed that um, in the sense in Switzerland, we were very lucky to have less constringent uh, restrictions put on, put on us by the government. So we're still able to go outside and you know, go cycling or you know, go outside and, and get some sunlight and, and some sun. Yeah. Um, so we were very lucky here in, in Switzerland in that sense. Um, the, the summer, uh, was, was quite nice, obviously quite a lot of complications, uh, particularly under my role with team NTT and the Tour de France. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of very strict uh, restrictions at the Tour de France this year. Were and... you working for NTT from the beginning of this year? Correct. Yes. I joined the team in January. Okay. Yes. And then, so what was your role on NTT? Um, it was mainly re- regarded around the equipment and uh, particularly okay. the technical aspects. So working with the sponsors, uh, NTT, uh, sorry, uh, BMC, Envy, um, Italia, uh, just to name a few. And uh, so looking after the equipment, uh, I did quite a lot of work uh, with Victoria in uh, Victoria, sorry, in in tubeless tires and, and recommending to the riders, you know, what is the best choice of equipment for, for the particular stage characteristics. How do you think you kind of set yourself up for that role? I mean, that's a role, uh, this very creative role, but this also, you know, like, did you, do you think that really shows your background with your racing prior that, you know, they saw how exact you were with all your equipment and, you know, you just, I feel like, carried that knowledge to the position now. You know, how do you get there? How did you get there with that role? Yeah, I guess it's it's connecting the kind of all the dots, you know, that I that I attained during my cycling career. I think I was always really interested in, in particularly the 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 sports science part of the sport, you know, improving aerodynamics. Uh, or I was always very interested in in data, you know, training peaks, uh, <laughs> all these all these kind of quote unquote relatively new um, <laughs> technologies uh, within the sport. So I guess I was always kind of very interested in, and always very open to learning about new new ways to train and and uh, I've always very been very interested in, in computers in general so you know using software to to analyze performance and and find patterns in, in performance and I, I guess um, you know a little bit of wear many hats I guess but I, I guess I, I lack the kind of formal education you know, I, I don't have a degree in anything. I, I guess I know a little bit about everything, but not really an expert on anything, if you can say it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I was having a that's I was having that exact conversation with someone last night at that dinner, and you know, we were talking, and today we live in such a day and age where it's pretty cool. It's almost like the wild, wild west with social media and technology. I feel like today, and honestly, if you're willing to just put forth the effort and hustle. You can learn anything. And I mean, obviously you can't full on learn to be a doctor or, but I feel like if you're interested in something enough, you can study it solo. You don't need a teacher to tell you to go home and read this chapter or this chapter because you're already passionate enough to go and study it and to give it full heartedness. Uh, at least everything I've done in my life it's I feel like I've rarely picked up a book on it it's usually just been from me I mean I've not had someone have to tell me to go do it it's just you are so passionate to do it 
that then it makes you want to study more of it. And then it leads you down more of these roads where, you know, with you being so interested in getting faster, then that leads to interested in the equipment and that leads to aerodynamics, you know, and then you start studying a little bit of engineering or, you know what I mean? Like you'll just yeah. pick up little bits here and there. Uh, and I think that's super, I mean, now you're at the head governing body from, and like you said, you don't have an official degree or what, you know what I mean? You that, and that's, but it just shows that you can gain the same value of knowledge through effort hard work and passion yeah certainly tj and i very much agree i I guess coming from a practical side um you know what what we learned through our our years of cycling and the training on, on the bike and the training i think a lot of those subjects or disciplines kind of almost flow into each other and you know, the, the, I think that as long as you have a, a willingness to to learn, and you have the discipline to 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 try things or to to stay the line, but also one of the most important things that I've learned, I guess, more so after stopping, is to be open-minded enough to to be able to listen to other opinions, and because you know we we all through see our lives and work and, and passion through a lens. But at the same time, we also have our own blind spots and, you know, getting in sync with other people and trying to understand their perspectives of how they see things. I think uh, you can uncover quite a lot of fertile ground and, you know, it, it's, I almost call it triangulation with people, you know, to, to be sure that, that you're talking about the same thing or you're seeing that element uh, with with the same set of glasses and perspectives can change, uh, but it requires you of least a lot of listening and 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 uh, hearing the opinions of others. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I feel like that's just a great like you said you you really picked that up after racing. Uh, I feel like that's that's the biggest thing I could give advice any to anyone is just having that perspective i had someone show me this photo one time and the photo was uh i don't know each person could see it differently so it was the same object it was a shoe but the shoe to one person's eyes was blue and then my eyes was pink but it was the same but just because your eye your vision saw it differently and and it was like wow that's that right there is just an example that we could say that is pink and die on it because our vision is saying it's pink and that person's vision is saying it's blue, which doesn't make any of us right. And so we have to see both of these, you know, views and accept it. And uh, I think, I think that's just awesome with you moving into the UCI with this perspective and how cool, calm and collective you are. I remember the first time being able to meet you, I had a, uh in Cappy's Fondo and I mean just such a cool calm guy and uh I can't wait to really see what you do and build and uh just for riders as well I feel like in the UCI for the UCI relationship you know yeah yeah and I I guess you know a lot of times we do see the various stakeholders as as kind of almost against each other in cycling um but you know when you really analyze it and you really really you know get into the details of of the positions of all the stakeholders we're actually more similar than we are apart because we all have this common common passion common value of cycling right and we all love it to death i mean we eat it we breathe it we all do and from from the race organizers to the riders to the teams to the to to the uci I mean, I, I can tell you after spending a couple of weeks there in the office in, in Agra in Switzerland, I mean, it's just full of passionate people and they love cycling and they want to do good. They really do. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's an odd sport. It's, it's different. I mean, it's been built up over, you know, X decades and the sports 
navigated its way through probably through a couple of world wars, world wars, and a pandemic now. Yeah, pandemic now, and it is what it is, and and I guess that's what the beauty about it is. It's so, you know, it's it's so, you can count on it almost. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of like this black art, right? That that oh, not, I like that. Not only a few people, a few you know, a few people really understand, but I think once people do get the basics understanding of of all the moving elements, people get hooked. I mean, how, oh yeah, that's that. Re- yeah, I couldn't. That's definitely you have all these people, normal day to day people, and they'll see you ride your bike or you'll tell them you rode this distance and they'll think you're crazy. And then I feel like once you do introduce people and they start, like you said, they start to see that art, that art form, what it does, how it does. I feel like uh, make you a little bit more vulnerable. It It's pretty awesome how hooked people can get. And yeah, it's cool then to share those relationships because they yeah. it's it's a little uh language you know and i feel like as you move up in the levels as well it's another little language because you understand the training load you understand the race like just the di- you know you start understanding so when you see it you're i mean definitely now when i watch the tour or all those races you're you're a lot more in awe you know and it's it's also more uh, amazing as well. It's an amazing sport. It really is. And uh, some, sometimes we are so focused on our differences, but we, we are so similar that uh, you know we're 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 residents, kind of all in the same city, right? And uh, it's one city, and uh, you know we we should do all our best to. To get along, and if if I can, you know, from my perspective, and, and, and moving to the UCI to to take this role on, you know, if I can be part, a small part of 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 a better cycling, then you know, I, I fulfilled uh, you know my goal. So awesome for uh, so yeah, talking about this year, and I mean, what about just how incredible the racing was, and how young these athletes were that were winning the grand tours and just dominating these races as someone in your role and then you're are you just loving it are you just is this one of your favorite years of racing to watch and if i if i try to summarize i think 2020 i think there's two really core items that stick out above all others I think you touched upon the first one, which is you know the the rise of of this new young generation, and 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 we should talk about that now. But also the second element, I, I think we should you know uh, which at least sticks out to me that I'd, lo- I'd love to get your input on is is how I think brave the sport of cycling is to to start that calendar again and you know put in the protocols around COVID nineteen. And more or less put on a a complete season, compact season. And yeah, the, beautifully. To, yeah, and to the likes that no other sport that I'm aware of, anyway, has been able to do on on a, on a, on a world stage. So, um, but going back to going back to your point about the the rise of the younger generation. I mean, wow. I mean, what a what a year. Um, you know these this young generation of of neo second third year professionals are just you know ruling you know ruling the roost say to say and 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 breaking you know climb records literally on every climb this year at the Tour de France. Um, you know I've been talking about this with some of my peers and colleagues, uh, particularly where I live here in in, in Switzerland and. Uh, uh, we, we're all asking that question, you know, you know, what what has been the foundation to to all these star performances? And uh, there's still some really interesting uh, interesting uh, opinions out there. But I'd love to love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think it's I think it just is pure. Uh, I, I think this younger generation kids are used to changing quickly, and 
I don't know, you, I think you can channel that to your style of racing and, you know, yeah, I thought it was, I, I was just blown away also just watching it because growing up, uh, I mean, it was, they're only breaking this barrier the last two years, I feel like, where it's these young kids are the leaders, you know, it, it was always like, all right, you do your years in U23, then you move up and then you spend like three years developing under the team and learning and doing these smaller races and then you get to do you know but now it's like just the bet these whoever's the best is just going which i think is awesome because it then feels like it's not stuck in that old school way of just like this is the role see yeah and some would excel through but I feel like now teams are looking at, all right, who's just riding the best. And especially this year with uh, it being so, you know, you couldn't take chances of like, oh, this person can ride into the season or train into the season. It was like, no, you just had to be ready. And I think, you know, it, maybe the gen- this younger generation was able to adapt a little better with the Zwift or when we were tra- they were training or I don't know. But I like I said, that's not my – job to know or i was just i loved it i loved watching it i loved watching tau you know win the giro and i love seeing all those young every it was just you didn't know who was gonna win you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it was just young kids from the start uh especially at the giro i mean it was in the hands of young kids the whole time i yeah. felt like yeah i certainly resonate with your your point there about this kind of uh the traditional uh, way that a, a, a young guy or girl would kind of go through the professional ranks. There's, there's certainly when I grew up and, and was was near professional in in the early 2000s, there's certainly this kind of hierarchy in the team where you you know you had to get in there and 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 do your time and 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 build up through the I, I suppose the the hierarchy of the team. And there was this general kind of imprint that if you didn't do the hard yards you know if you didn't do the suffering for for years on end you know you won't you weren't going to break through that hierarchy and and that was a long trip you know that took, yeah. took several years for a lot of riders but i guess tj you only need kind of one or two riders young generation riders to kind of to break through that barrier and you know those those first few guys, those guys that are young and able to break through that barrier and get results, I think it just opened a pathway to, to so many young guys because they're all so competitive. And yeah. and maybe a couple of them, you know, he or she kind of this saw that, you know, uh, a, a couple of his riders of his generation saw that, God, they can do it. Why can't I? And it's almost exactly. like this mental exactly. barrier that you... You know, I'm allowed to be in the final of those races. I yeah, I couldn't agree. Once you see someone a peer of yours do something, you're like, well, why can't I do that? They're doing the same thing right now. So, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I, yeah, I, that kind of that one rider to get through that breakthrough, that barrier, and then that creates that path for for the kind of the, the entire or the obviously the top echelon of that generation to do the same. Uh, yeah, I just feel it makes it exciting because, I mean, everyone's so young now too, and it it's just gonna I feel like gonna be a more exciting sport in the future because it's gonna fluctuate. I feel like a lot more where younger kids are gonna it's gonna be the same thing. More kids come up, and you know it's just this battle back and forth. You know, so I can't wait for it. I think the racing's really. I, I love also the shorter season this year. I mean, it was a bummer not to have racing in the spring and early summer, but uh, I thought it was just awesome every every day to basically have a race to watch as a fan. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was really exciting. It was. It was a very exciting season. So, uh, and then back to uh, the second part of that, um, you were asking me, what were you asking me here? 
Uh, just your thought. I mean, the, this, this I think sport of, of cycling was extremely courageous. You know, to p- particularly the the government. Oh yeah, the start, the seat. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, the UCI oh. to come together and and with the race organizers and. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, as you know, I was talking to a friend as well, and we we're like, "You're it, at the end of the day, it is our job." You know, and the beauty of cycling is it inspires so much hope i mean it's different in europe than it is here you know and there it's embedded into the culture and when people watch those races i feel like it's inspiring and in a year of such heartache and like you know just not being able to have you know be able people to visit each other or see the races or go do this i mean in Europe, those are always massive events and people are always out there. And uh, so I think having the racing and not having it be canceled and not like, was just, it was awesome for the UCI to do that. And I feel like courageous as well. And because they also, I feel like really stepped up with, you guys did a great job with the COVID. I feel like handling all that and making sure the race was safe. I mean, at the tour, there were hardly any cases and, you know, I think that just shows like, okay, like we can still race and do that because the athletes want to race. They want to show, you know, show what they, they've been working all year, you know, and it's like, yeah, I think it was really great of the, for, you know, to race. I, I was really excited to see that and, yeah, and to do it safely. And exactly. so, yeah. it, cause like it, it just proved it could be done, you know, because it then, had it not happened this year, then it puts a lot of doubt maybe for years to come because now it survived the pandemic. So what can it not survive? You know? Exactly. And the UCI, I mean, put together the world championships in literally in two to three weeks, which is just something unheard of. And, you know, to be able to do that in a pandemic, I think, uh, it was just a phenomenal feat. And, and you have to kind of think, you know, our all race organizers now kind of starting to review that <laughs> the timelines that it normally takes to, to put a, such an event together. So I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, I think we all, the sport actually had a confirmation that, that the uh, International Olympic Committee president, uh, Mr. Back, I mean, he turned up at the, at the professional world championships there in, in Imola in Italy. And uh, as far as my as far as my knowledge, I mean, I've, I've never been aware of uh, the IOC president turning up to the World Championships. So I think it meant a lot to them as well. And again, you know, I just think I think the, the sport from from the organisers to the, the the administration of the sport all the way to the riders and and the staff and the teams, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, were just so brave and and uh, and ready to to do what they love in the, in the middle of a pandemic. I think that was, that was super. Well, and just, yeah, to do what they love and to do whatever they have to do to do what they love, you know? Exactly. I mean, it, it was just awesome. A, there's a way. Exactly, exactly. So, no, that was really fun to watch and really awesome. Uh, I wanted to go back and uh, talk about I mean, you yeah, you raced for some of the best teams your whole career. Uh, and then with you retiring, you had a heart condition. Uh, I also have had a friend who I train with uh, almost weekly. And he has a, he, he has, a, after retirement, he had a heart condition like that as well, similar or so. And I uh, would love to kind of talk about that if you don't, you know, it's not too personal. Your heart condition. No, sure. Learn more about I mean, it. I've always very openly speak, uh, you know, about my, my heart issues. So uh, back in my my first ever health check to receive my professional cycling license, it was it was two, year two thousand. Um, I I had a uh, an ultrasound of my heart, and they picked up on a a malformation of the aortic valve. So it, it's basically one of the the, the primary uh, valves and and the that connects to the heart and, and controls blood flow to the heart. So the aortic valve and 
uh, it was a thing that I was born with. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, again, in, in, a, in a nutshell, um, the valve, a normal functioning valve will open and close in, in kind of these, this three leaflet pattern. Uh, so if you can think of the Mercedes-Benz logo, you've got those kind of that star, the three, the three kind yeah. of elements. So a normal valve would open and close in that, uh, that three valve um, shape. Uh, I was born with two leaflets. So you, you can think of a, a, a circle uh, open and closing kind of into like a semicircle open and joining them joining and, and, and separating. Mm -hmm. um, however, this causes the, the, the kind of seal of, of the valve to be imperfect. So uh, a small amount of blood in between heartbeats kind of uh, regurgitates back into the left heart chamber. Okay. And um, I'm probably using all the wrong terminology and uh, it's, it's, a, I, I have no idea. Yeah. So I, yeah, um, I, I guess if there's any, <laughs> any medical trained experts listening to it, they're probably, yeah, you know, dying right at the moment, but I try to, <laughs> I try to explain it in layman's terms. Um, that, um, so yeah, uh, due to the imperfect, imperfect seal, some blood regurgitated kind of re, uh, entered my heart, uh, heart chamber, and the heart would pick up on this extra blood coming back, you know, coming in a reverse direction, and in essence would would create, uh, would have a an extra irregular beat, okay, to to clear the heart chamber of that blood that regurgitated back. So you have kind of boom, 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 to pattern of the heart and. Um, over time, uh, the amount of that irregular heartbeats uh, became quite significant. The stress load on it. Yeah, well, I mean, these, these irregular heartbeats, um, you know, measured over a 24-hour period. You know, it might be when, when I first started and, and first became aware of the, the issue, it was kind of between this 80 and 100 all these irregular beats happening in a, in a 24 hour time frame. Wow. Yeah. So fast forward, you know, 16 years to until the time that I retired, that had gone from That's... 80 to 100 right up to, you know, into the two, two and a half thousands. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's incredible that you knew about that from the beginning. I thought it was a late, you know, finding it out later and. Uh, to know that no I and you know and every six months in you know in between those those two dots you know I had a had a heart check and and they they we measured it very closely so I could see the the, the kind of progression of the condition over over the that time span and uh, I, I I kind of knew that that this one element would you know would one day you know cause me to stop racing so um so I mean, I was extremely followed by you know some of the world's best you know cardiologists, and I travelled travelled literally all around the world visiting um, you know the, the world's experts. And, and the time come when when they said you know Michael, the risk is increasing uh, that that you will have a heart issue, and and we advise that you stop now before why why you do have a choice uh, and not wait until uh, you know you're kind of keeled on the side of the road yeah so uh that was a good that was an easy decision to make yeah oh my gosh absolutely i mean you have a family and yeah it's no problem hanging up the wheels at that at that point what was it uh did you ever with that as a young rider and knowing that did they advise any i don't know can like calming just like being real calm and having a, you know, like meditating or doing, I don't know, these light stretches or did you ever do that during your career to kind of just. Well, I'm, I mean, I was never into meditation at, at all. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as an athlete, of course, I did my, my stretching, but um, my understanding and from, from the experts in, in the cardiology space was there was literally nothing that I could do. Uh, to to prevent this and there was some 
um, experimentation in, in this kind of surgery. And, and of, of course, I could have decided to have the actual heart valve replaced, uh, which is, which is a quite a heavy uh, medical procedure. And uh, you can replace it with mechanical one, mechanical valve. You, there's also available uh, <laughs> the, the heart valve of the pig they replace that is one option oh, man. Uh, but it would have taken you know six to 12 months out of the sport which which would have been uh, which would have been suicide for, for my sports career yeah yeah well so even now when you go out and ride do you have to monitor it pretty closely i mean if it gets too hot or just not obviously push it too hard or yeah, uh, they're quite relaxed about about my my condition. As long as I, I you know don't go riding up you know, Alpe d'Huez at you know full threshold pace, yeah, I'm going to be fine. Uh, you know, I can still I can still enjoy you know a normal you know athletic career and or you know for what I'm doing now, which is very recreational cycling on on flat flat roads uh, that's absolutely fine as long as i avoid just uh, large amounts of high intensity yeah yeah but like you said i mean it's not your job to do high amounts of high intensity anymore so no no yeah. <laughs> it's very rare that i get on a bike particularly road bike these days so. you just mountain bike now i love mountain bike yeah, yeah nice kind of, yes yeah i'm kind of getting into downhilling um which is maybe even more dangerous um you need to go call taylor in uh spain and go downhill with him <laughs> okay yeah no i love it i love it and uh you know as a kid i was always tinkering around on mountain bikes and bmx's and you know as long as it had two wheels you know as a kid i loved it and uh so i'm, I'm that element of me is starting to be reborn again and uh obviously just a little bit more responsible now um yeah and uh and if I were to, you know, touch wood, as we say in, uh, in Australia, that um, <laughs> no big crashes will happen. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So is that how you got into it? Did you do mountain biking when you were a kid? or? Uh... Well, no, actually, um, I probably started that long ago that uh, you probably weren't even born. And uh, mountain bikes weren't really... A thing they were, I, I guess they were just starting to take off in the states. Um, it was about the, the the mid '80s, I think. So it's quite quite a funny story, actually, how I how I started cycling and um, it, and and my family, because I come from a, a large, uh, a well-known cycling family in, in Australia. So um, um, I started in about '86, 1986. Wow. Um, my my mother and father were living in a very remote part of Australia, a very regional part where um, a lot of the agriculture of Australia had in agriculture zone. And uh, my father was an engineer, civil engineer, you know, designing roads and, and canal systems and irrigation systems. And uh, my father bought a, a bike to ride to, to commute back and forth to work on. And... Uh, my father being an engineer and, and a fan of high quality, um, he bought a really nice bike you know, for, for, a, for a person who you know, was just going to commute. And uh, the gentleman at the bike shop said, you know, what's the plan with this bike? It's a good, good bike. He goes, well, I'm just going to commute back and forth to work. And he said, oh, wow, you know, why don't you come and join us? We know there's, the, there's quite a, 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 a strong Italian cycling community in this particular town where we were living. And so my dad uh, kind of accepted the, the challenge and I, I think really bravely went down to this club race, you know, having no experience about a bike whatsoever. And uh, he took part in the race. And, uh, and then my, my two older brothers, uh, uh, Peter and Dean, uh, within a few months, uh, you know, they were, they were riding, you know, dad bought them, you know, bikes. They w would have been, they would have been 10 or 11 at the, at the time. And then a few years later, I come along at the age of eight and, 
and the, the, I guess the kind of rest is just history, right? We just slowly, as a family, my brothers and I, we, we slowly moved up, you know, the club right. level to a, to a state level, national level. And, and before we knew it, we were, you know, jet setting all around the world racing. Yeah. The continents. And you did, but did you do any of the track program at all? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now the, the Australian cycling, um, I guess Federation uh, had very close ties to, to, to track cycling and mm-hmm. the traditional route was kind of start with track and then progress to the road. So uh, I did the full Olympic program uh, from about 96, 97, 98, 99 and, and formed, uh, did my first Olympic games on the track, which uh, coincidentally was in Sydney in Australia. Oh, that's and, awesome. What was that? Yeah. I mean, in front of your, that, that's it. What was, what was your feelings for that? Yeah, that was super, you know, I mean, I was just a kid. I was 20 years old and, and oh, getting, my. a rock yeah. star then. Yeah. Like, you know, performing in, in, in front of your home country, um, and then Sydney, I'm, where I, where I, where my family lives now is very close to Sydney and a couple of hours drive. So. You know, that was a special, cool. special thing, first Olympics and, and a memory that I always remember. And, and then the day after my competition, I, I turned more or less professional and, and started uh, what turned out to be a 16-year career on the road. Yeah, incredible. I mean, with MAPE, like I said, you race for the biggest, I feel like, the and honestly, a lot of the coolest teams out there with MAPE, then what was Quick, Quick Step or T-Mobile. And then HTC, Sky, and then Tinkoff. So I mean, that's every. I mean, those are just teams that you know you strive to get on to for maybe once in your career, and you were on them for your whole career. What was your favorite team and year to be on? Because hmm. those are all incredible, yeah, legendary that's... teams. That's a good question. I, I guess the the, the, sh- the answer is that they were all uh, they were almost all special in their own way. Um, I mean, if, if I start off with Mape, you know, they had this it was just the biggest team in the world in the early two thousands. You know, fifty odd riders. <laughs> And and this setup of just you know they had a they had a cycling they had a testing center I mean we're not talking about just a, a center with a couple of rooms it was a you know a full building full of sports scientists and 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 the team was running the same building so uh, we had just a massive amount of support and and just you know coming from the junior and and under twenty three ranks where it was kind of you know obviously trying to save money on equipment you just went to at the time, the Colnago C40 with Durez, right? It was and and not one, but two, but maybe four or five of these things, you know. And it was just, uh, I, I can still remember turning up and and when they delivered the clothing, you know, it was uh-huh. forty sets of shorts, forty jerseys. Uh-huh. I mean, it was just, it was just, and just heaven. that that kit design on that yeah. Colnago, yeah. it was it that was, was just... it was. It was heaven. It really was. And uh, so that was, I mean, the organization of that team was, was this mammoth and, and the amount of investment that came from MAPE, you know, going back 20 years ago was just second to none. Um, quick step, I mean, wow, what a team. Um, you know, I got to ride alongside one of my, my, I mean, childhood heroes in Johan Museo. Um, Paolo Bettini, you know, so I got to learn from some some really some really great cyclists there, and and um, and then I, I guess I went to Team Mobile, which was um, which was a kind of funny period. Uh, it was full of rock stars, um, kind of dysfunctional, in the sense that there were so many rock stars that, of course, they all wanted to win, and and you know that that doesn't form a, a, a champion team. You know, it was a, fo- it was a team full of champions, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a champion team. 
um, you know, and the caliber of riders they that that we had, you know, we, we didn't win, um, you know, a fraction of, of, of what was the potential of, of the riders. Um, but I guess that transitioned into a really, I think, one of the, the probably the, the highlights of my career was HTC. Uh, and that's like the opposite, I feel like, of what you just said. Exactly. You know, with, yeah. So, you know, Bob and it was Sager, under the same organization, right? Or the, yeah, well, Bob's, yeah, well, yes, and no. I mean, Bob, Bob Stapleton came in and, and took over the management of the team. Um, he really got some, you know, the, the management, the, the organization functioning to a T and, and everyone's objectives were very clear and Bob went out and searched the, the best mechanic and, and, and the best trainers and the best people that he could and, and gave them a, set the expectation and, and let them run with that role and, and great gave those people the creativity to, you know, to, to do what they did best. And I mean, that was, uh, I guess the, the stars aligned in that period also with the riders. We had, you know, a young Mark Cavendish come through, Greifel, uh, extremely talented guys that you probably don't hear much about now. Kim Kierkegaard, oh, yeah, um, you know, there's a, just a, a bunch of guys that kind of come together and there's this, this massive explosion of, of, of talent and and then you put a wise head on it like George Hincapie came in I mean I was kind of getting into a, the, the 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 latter half of my career and you know you put a few experienced guys together and, and and you know to that explosion of talent you put smart wits together and you know something really special came out and um, and I guess I guess <laughs> when I think back you know what was I guess the the measure of success of, of that team was wasn't so much a result. So I guess it was the the environment and the team and how much we were laughing, you know, at the dinner table after the races. And I think that's the true measure of a good team is is when you look around and you look at a team and this if you see that they're struggling to get their food down because they're laughing so much. <laughs> That's when you know it's a fantastic environment. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, the HTC always always looked like a dream. And, uh, I mean, it just was dialed the machine. It, you know, just looked cool. And definitely, I, I don't feel like there's been a team like that since. I mean, I, I feel like Quick Step has kind of started quick picking back up that vibe, I guess. But... Uh, it was just super unique how, I mean, just watching those lead outs, no matter what, if you were a fan of like sprinting or climbing, you were just in awe of watching the, those lead outs and seeing them come together. And yeah, it was just always really fun, really impressive. And then super team. Yeah. you went from there to Sky uh, and then from Sky to Tinkoff. What were those final kind of years like with those two, two giant teams? Because then those were the two giants uh, during those years. Yeah, so I, I guess that part of my career, I, I kind of started to understand out in, in myself that I was I was unable to to win the races that I, I, I kind of first set out in my first part of my career. You know, like I, I really did believe I could, you know, win a Grand Tour. And I guess by then I started to realize that that you know, that was going to be a really tough shot to do. But I, I still was missing the the experience of winning a Grand Tour, being part of a Grand Tour team that actually won. I witnessed a lot. Um, and I decided to to dedicate myself and, and be the best in the world at actually helping a team, if mm -hmm. I can say it that way. And so I found a, a lot of pleasure working with, with uh, Brad Wiggins. I mean, that was 2012, particularly was a special year where the Tour de France was very well suited to Brad's time trial and capabilities, and there wasn't too much climbing. And so we just had complete buy-in, and I guess kind of there was some replications of of HTC. You know, the the team really came together and united, and 
and it was again led by probably the the two most important elements of of a cycling team is 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 great management, clear objectives, and great athletes. And and when you put those two together, and and there's the understanding, clarity, and alignment on what the actual job is, then all those small details that so many teams get caught amongst and caught in between, they just fall off to the wayside because you have a clear objective. It becomes easier to select teams because if you're going to a race and Tour de France with a clear objective and that's GC, then obviously you need a team that's very strong in the mountains. Uh, you need uh, a team that has a lot of endurance. So, I think it, it kind of underlines these really important elements of, of team culture and, and, and the people that fit into the culture, right? Because at the end of the day, the culture for me is the most important. What the was, culture, yeah, what the was culture the culture is like the hardest thing. At the dinner culture then. sometimes to be the hardest thing to get right because the culture sets the people that fit in to the team. And it's the one that uh, is, is is the most important. So I mean, you had the at the dinner and the culture at HTC where it was, you know, you guys are just laughing and having a good time. What was it like in 2012 at that Tour de France? The culture and the vibe was it like you kind of internally said clear? it was fantastic. Internally, I think it was fantastic. You know, uh, particularly Bradley. I mean, he's he's quite known to to be quite quite uh, funny and and um, you know he was always taking uh, in, make, taking impersonations of everyone and my Australian accent for example um, <laughs> so that was good fun I think you know the feedback that I heard over time is that from the outside looking in it looked like a really serious team yeah that's totally the vibe I feel like you get yeah. and this cold kind of um, very serious team, but internally, inside looking out, it was fantastic. It really was. Um, and I, I don't really, really know why, you know, a lot of people formed that, that vision. Of course, we were, we were focused and we were very, you know, motivated to, to fulfill those goals. But um, from, from the inside out, it really was, it was special. That's super interesting. That's super yeah. interesting. So looking back then, you know, going through all these different great teams and riding for all these, you know, other great riders and learning so much, what what's something you would go back? I mean, or you do now and what's some advice you give to young athletes, you know, because there's a lot of young athletes who listen to this and, uh, you know, that's, yeah, just learning stuff from that would be great. I think there's two things. Um, be resilient. Um, you know, the decisions you take when things aren't going to plan are probably more important than the decisions you make when things are going great. So, you know, everyone in there, in there throughout their career, whether it's sports or or whether it's, uh, you know, an office role, you know, we all at some stage, we come to this point where you kind of, you have a big fall off the side of the mountain, uh, whether it's you get fired or whether there's, there's something kind of happening in the world, such as the, the current situation, uh, COVID situation, you know, the world changes and sometimes management is decided to make hard decisions that they, of course, they don't want to, but they're forced to. So you, we always get to the point where you kind of fall off the side of the mountain and, and you fall back down to back to ground. And, you know, the ability to get up and, and dust yourself off and keep, keep moving forward. I mean, that's a decision that we take, you know, you know, you decide whether you're going to get up and dust yourself off and, or whether you're going to stay down and, and, and curl up into a ball. And so those decisions, when you're when when things are tough, I think I think they're important. The second piece of advice that I learned is 
stay true to your talents. I think it's better to be an expert at one thing than to be good at several things. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I made my claim to, to success in my first years of professional cycling when uh, I was a very good time trialer. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I won the world championships three times consecutively uh, or three consecutive times, I should say. Um, I was the best in the world. And over time, I started to expand. I started to listen to people who, could, who were telling me that, you know, I could win grand tours and I could do this and I could do that. But I guess it was kind of outside of my, my, my skill set because I was always a couple of kilos heavier than, you know, the, the, the small hill climbers, you know. I've got a medium structure and there's some laws of physics there that due to my, my couple of kilos, three, four kilos more, I wasn't be able to follow those guys in the mountains. Mm-hmm. So I spent my whole, you know, I lost three or four years of my career, you know, focusing on trying to climb mountains, but at the same time lost my time trying skills. So I would say, you know, not saying not to chase dreams and, and not, and not to be good at, at various things, but remember the things that got you to where you are now, because those are your talents. I, I, yeah, I think, I, I think that's a very, also, I think that's a, a lot of American young riders, I feel like get in that position where they, or I feel like a lot of young kids who are, they want to win the tour, win this GC race. They're really good at time trialing or just being, just racing their bike. And I feel like we just put so many labels on these kids or like, you know, they'll be in the U23s and you're, they'll be their first year U23 and they're like, oh yeah, you're a GC rider. Or it's like, man, just go race your bike. You know, that's, I, I couldn't agree more. My, I, I felt like I got so focused on trying to do well in GC stuff that I then stopped doing what I was good at. And that was just attacking from the gun and racing my bike and you know and i should have just been targeting stages or riding you know just just totally racing my bike and i I think yeah we get so caught up in those labels of oh i'm this type of rider i'm this type of rider it's like honestly you can learn how to be any type of rider it's like you said the only thing that's going to stop you eventually is physics you know because yeah like you said there's smaller those lighter Colombian guys who are just ripping up and you being taller, medium or anybody like physics are eventually going to catch up as well. But, you know, you can learn new skills every day. Like we talked about earlier, we can, you can, you know, but staying true to your true self. And yeah, I think it's, that's super important. So awesome. But Hey, Michael, thank you so much for joining, uh, you know, being on the podcast today and it was really really awesome and uh loved having you on and hearing about your career and just your motivation and uh yeah just it was really inspiring with a lot of things you had to say honestly I feel like you're the uh the Alan Watts of cycling I feel like that's who I was (laughs) talking to on the phone I'm I'm a big Alan Watts fan and uh I listened to his YouTube like recordings all the time and at the beginning when you you kind of caught me off guard because I was like what it sounds like just you, how calm you speak and that is so knowledgeable and inviting you know when you're speaking it pulls you in and to this calming point where I was just kind of caught off guard I loved it but it was really great to catch up uh, I hope totally to see you in the future and uh our paths cross again because it was so fun meeting you at uh georgia's in uh fondo and a few years back and uh i just again like you kind of said cycling is just great because the amount of people we may and the places the bike just takes us and allows people allows us to meet and i mean it's pretty cool i mean like i said i grew up watching you and viewing you i mean i 
watching you win three world championships and i remember meeting you at george's fondo and just being in awe and like i said now being i'll have you on the podcast it's just cool where if you just stay open like you said and meet people and communicate and uh you know make friends it's pretty cool where those bridges cross and you know allow you to do exactly well thanks for having me on tj and uh, happy to join you maybe uh maybe in a couple of months definitely definitely awesome well you have a great uh great evening and uh appreciate it